You're listening to Artists and Hackers, a podcast on art, code, and community. We talk to programmers, artists, educators, and designers in an effort to critically look at online art making and the history of technology and the internet. We're interested in where we've been and speculative ideas on the future. I'm Lee Tussman. This season, we've partnered with the New Media Caucus, an international nonprofit formed to promote the development and understanding of new media art. We're interviewing five new media artists working today, both individually and in a live in-person event that we held in February. This season of the podcast is supported by the National Endowment for the Arts, Grants for Arts Projects. KT Duffy is a new media artist from Chicago's Southwest Side and is currently an assistant professor in art, technology, and culture at the University of Oklahoma. They received their MFA in interdisciplinary art from the Maryland Institute College of Art, and they live between Chicago, Illinois, and Norman, Oklahoma with their partners and dogs. Duffy conjures entities in existence via code-based processes and digital fabrication. As a neurodivergent non-binary person, the normative modalities of learning and making were not designed for them. To move through these structures, they made their own systems, glitching and patching and breaking the entanglements of binary logic. Their work manifests infinite possibility, translating the immeasurable interconnection of transcendent sentience and examining the impending demise of binary systems. KT, one of the things that drew me to your work was a resonance I felt with something uh, when I saw your work. But I just wanted to see if it's all in my head or if it's or if there's something there, which is I'm I feel like I'm picking up on a background in DIY culture um, or community. Is that something that you bring to your work as an artist, or is or am I off on that? Oh, absolutely. Um... I've run like a DIY space in some format since I was like 18, um, you know, like in college and in an undergrad and during my MFA and uh, after my MFA and, you know, just kind of putting on shows like here and there. And then I had a couple like established spaces and then I have a background in my undergrad degree is um, social work. And then I also have another degree, a dual degree in digital art and design. So I think the things that I studied really drew me to like more of a community practice or like a community minded practice. I also have, you know, I I have a set of skills that's like, I guess you would say in demand. And most of it is self-taught me kind of just around with technology until I figured it out. And so, you know, that's like such a privilege to have. And so it's, it's a thing that I try to like lend to as many organizations as movements as I can as a way to just support, but like also kind of be in the background at the same time. I think that's really cool. And you're talking about the movements. I'm also thinking of, of also kind of the aesthetics of DIY. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's any one thing, but one of the areas that I often think of if we're going down the DIY rabbit hole is that um, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe my own background and, and, and peers of kind of working with glue sticks and scissors to make zines, uh-huh. photocopy machines to make posters. Mm-hmm. Is that, does that something that kind of influences maybe your relationship to tools as a new media artist at all? Yeah, I'm laughing because uh, a lot of my, my grad school friends and I like refer to the work I came in making as like hot glue art because it, it was very much that like trying to just like you know put different forms together and figure out like how things fit or don't fit within a digital practice that's very much the way that i work i like the term duct tape programmer and what does that mean uh it's just like 
somebody that's going to just hack away at a problem and figure out a really inelegant solution, but a solution that works, or in my case, like maybe doesn't work on purpose. You know, I really identify with like the, you know, super old HDMI cable into the slightly older HDMI cable into the newer HDMI cable into like USB-C, you know, like this kind of like chain of uh, genres and technology, you know, having to like link all that stuff together to get something visual to like spit out on the device of who knows what, you know, generation or genre. So that's very much my my practice is kind of like hacking things and, and yeah, like duct taping, hot gluing them together. And I'm really interested in the results that come from that. I don't really do well with an exacting process. I have pretty bad ADHD. So for me, kind of just like moving around, like solving a little problem here, solving a little problem here, making this weird squiggly thing here, and then like figuring out how to like make a system that connects all those things that's like pretty wonky and half broken, but like visually is really interesting to me is usually where, where I'm at in terms of like making stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an interesting part of the DIY mi mindset of like having to kind of learn and try out and do things. Really? And that's also obviously hyper present in new media. In certain ways, there's there can be a tendency to kind of constantly use new technology. I'm curious if that's something that you've had to kind of manage or figure out um, your own relationship with constantly using new technology or going back to kind of old tools or, or ways of working or kind of how you split that difference. I feel like new media is literally just learning things as you're making a project. That's like how I've always, so I've always learned like by, you know, by teaching things that are maybe like a little out of my wheelhouse or by, you know, just like diving into a project that maybe I'm like slightly unqualified for, but I figure it out, you know, just by process and by actually making, I, I really love this idea by one of my mentors, Jenna Fry, who's at um, Johns Hopkins now, but it's like making to learn rather than learning to make. I'm not the person that's ever going to be able to sit through like a theory lecture on, you know, coding or computer science. I just cannot learn that way or pay attention that way. And so for me, it's all like super process-based you know, every semester I'm like super excited to kind of like, I like redo all most of my classes every semester to just like include upgraded technology that I kind of have wrapped my head around like over the summer or over the winter break. And then it's a super fun space to like experiment with students because, you know, it's, it's new to them. It's slightly new to me and um, we can like problem solve a lot together and have a, a classroom space that's like more like an open laboratory. Totally. I resonate with that a lot. You know, one of the things that ties together the people I'm interviewing this season is that everyone is a new media arts scholar or professor in some way. You've talked a little bit about your kind of how you like to learn and a little bit about the classroom. I'm curious to hear what drew you to becoming a teacher in the first place. Yeah, I, I come from a family of uh, teachers, like all the femmes in my family are Chicago public school teachers. I knew I was going to do art in some capacity. I was also like really into soccer <laughs> and, you know, I had this sort of like social justice background education, did a lot of like making programs in between like different entities and stuff, working with a lot of youth. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just felt like a good place for me to kind of have all of these interests of mine, like intersect. Like I said, like I, like a lot of people I know don't learn in a traditional way. If I have to follow somebody else's system to learn something, I'm just like set up for failure. But if I make my own system, 
and then, you know, follow that system, then I'm able to like actually comprehend things and move on to the next subjects. And so I really love teaching in that way, like in this sort of um, backwards, forwards, you know, messy, middle, non-linear um, way of, you know, guiding students through like different softwares and different coding processes. And, you know, I went to grad school maybe without the full intention of teaching, but once I started doing it, it just felt really natural and felt really cool to connect with artists who I've just been alive a little longer than they have, you know? And so I really love that space of exploration with like young artists who are, you know, kind of figuring out their identity and figuring out like the things that they care about. And I just find it to be like really inspiring and really reciprocal. Um, and like I said, I think it's a good place for me to kind of bring all of my interests, like like social justice and like collaborative making and, you know, a lot of other things uh, into a space that can be collaborative and can, can kind of produce some unexpected things. I'd love to hear a little bit more, too, about the role of social justice, either in your practice or um, or teaching or both. For me, it's really important to not only educate the students um, you know, contemporary uses of software, like how to get into the industry, but to also prepare them for what the real world is going to look like, whether that's offering techniques for allyship and solidarity for certain students or kind of facilitating and tur turning students on to resources that talk about their background or talk about their experience and what, what that background experience could be like, you know, working in the tech sector or working as a tech artist with a given identity. As we're seeing tech, you know, just peripherate more into our culture, just thinking about like AI right now, these are the things that the students are, are up against, right? And it's not just technology, it's like capitalism, it's racism, it's the environment, it's environmental racism, like all of these things are so heavily tied to the tech stacks that I teach. And it feels really irresponsible to not focus on that just as much as I focus on like the technical tooling and training. There's a certain organic form that's present in a lot of your work. There's, there's a playfulness, a joy, and even both your use of materials. I don't know, but it looks like you use slime or at least slime influenced yes, so materials. Slime, yes. My 90s, and, the gak has to make its way into everything in some way. Oh, totally. And and then of you know, and then of course you're also kind of building things that you know spark joy and and humor and things like that. I'm thinking of your installations using like a miniature golf course. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, for the students and especially the students who are you know maybe this is their first art class where they're being challenged to think about their privilege and positionality creating spaces of joy and illustrating how like joy and playfulness can actually be forms of resistance against, you know, the normative usage of things like the, the way that technology is set out to like, quote unquote, make our lives better, but also like actively kill people. Um, and so, you know, we can talk about this stuff all day and we're not going to not talk about it because it's, it's depressing and it's scary, right? Um, we're going to talk about it, but we're also going to experience like joy and play as resistance. Uh, so I think that's really, really important in like any kind of movement work or equity justice based practices is that that joy and that play has to be part of it. And it's not saying that that should be like prioritized or that's any 
more important than any of the other avenues and strategies that people take. But I think especially for the students who I think sometimes can feel really, really overwhelmed and they don't even know where to begin. I think offering like beauty and joy and play as a way to push back against things is a really good vehicle for me to get students to start to go a little deeper. What are your thoughts about the difference between physical space and online or virtual space? Are these big distinctions to you or are they, um, or, or do you see them as quite fluid? I think I see them as, as quite fluid. You know, like the site-specific stuff is, is obviously site-specific, right? Like I, you know, my practice is I kind of like make a lot of things for a thing as evidenced by the installation. It's like, you know, made with many different parts and, you know, I'll make an animation out of like something that, you know, some weird video I took of like some tadpoles swimming around in like a natural spot and then like glitch out of it. You know, with virtual space, I kind of just see it as another like site-specific type of installation in terms of like, where's this going to play? How is it going to be seen? Right? Because like, I'm just thinking about like my phone and how I hold it in my hand. And that's like a site. That's like instant installation, right? Like that's a site of experience with the piece. And, you know, my practice with both of those, like physical, digital is, is really all about like using all of these forms to collapse and expand the space at the same time. So like making moments of, you know, interaction and genesis uh, and like, you know, trying to like really mess around with the kind of basics of like foreground, background relationships, just to create a space that, you know, it's kind of indistinguishable between like, what's a video, what's a screen, what's a layer of acrylic, what's 3D printed, what's a motor, you know, to kind of like create all these like moments of like, illusion out of things that could otherwise be like readily identifiable and I, and I do that a lot with like my video practice and you know my my vr practice which i make vr experiences and then and render videos from where you know i take a lot of like source elements or like just things i've built and i kind of keep this like just weirdo library of like forms and code snippets and you know vector shapes and that's kind of where all of a lot of the shapes that I work from, like they kind of come from this library. So in a way they're all kind of like cousins of each other and they're all offspringing from each other. And I really like this, this idea in terms of thinking about just like evolution of, you know, an animal or a human animal, like how could it have played out very differently? You know, like a lot of the forms I make are like kind of lumpy sort of personified, you know, and I think a lot about like, you know, when a thumb sprung out of some kind of human type creature's hand and like the condi the exact conditions when that happened were like right for that adaption to like proliferate into that being's offspring, all of the things that had to come together to make that thing into like an evolution. I'm really, really interested in that and interested on like how that could potentially play out on like different timelines and in you know, different world building structures. And so that's kind of why I'm sort of drawing from these like really referential images and um, videos and forms and weird 3D printed things. I love hearing about your bag of tools or your like pantry of ingredients yeah. and making your work. The last thing I wanted to ask about you, not just, you, know, you don't work just as a solo artist, but you are also someone that works in collaboration with many others. And I was curious to hear a little bit about that, um, the role of collaboration in your practice. 
I have a non-binary design studio with one of my partners who's a graphic designer called Mix Studio. We're based out of Chicago. And we mostly do like branding and websites for and like web products for like nonprofits or artists or companies and entities who think have like a similar value system to us. And then I also have a, an ongoing collaboration uh, called Code Lab. And, uh, and that's with Alejandro T. Acierto. Um, and that's mainly like a sort of writing project. So we have a book that was published on uh, Pigeon Press uh, called It's a Manifest X of Feminist Coding. And in it, we just we talk a lot about situational relationships between physical space and tools and technologies and like kind of what I was talking about earlier, like how to make space for these like essential conversations around like the implications of technology while also making spaces for learning and, and exchange, kind of using the makerspace, the traditional makerspace as a, uh, as a model for how uh, all of these things can kind of be manifested in a, in a communal space where people can actually like share and learn and, you know, develop their, both their um, like ideas, worldviews, ideas, and also their, their skills. And right now we're working on a second text that's an edited volume of essays from different artists where we um, kind of respond, all the artists were invited to, you know, write anything they wanted about tech or tech problems or, you know, something that they just, have just been thinking about. And then our piece of the writing is to kind of like respond and offer like some, you know, further, like how to go further on these topics. So that's, that's currently what we're working on now. That's great. I love hearing about all your different projects and I appreciated you speaking with me tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much. This was fun. Great. At the beginning of our conversation, KT and I talked about their roots in DIY, do-it-yourself culture. For me, it's a touchstone for how I approach art, music, and organizing in general. In my mind, I associate it as growing out of punk DIY subculture, even if we're not talking about the music itself anymore necessarily. The idea of not needing professionals, breaking down hierarchies, it's also a mindset of not needing expert approval or guidance and taking the initiative to try things out, for better and for worse, trying things on our own to create microcosms of alternate communities and creative societies. There's not a single aesthetic of DIY, but maybe a mentality of using what you have. So it was really funny to hear KT talking about their friends associating them with hot glue the ultimate DIY art hack tool. There's an immediacy of scissors, glue, spray paint, tape. These are some of the tools in my mind I associate with a particular kind of DIY. And in the digital realm, KT talked about how they assembled their own bag of tools over time, like a library of forms, code snippets, vector shapes. They add to this by working with and teaching with various code libraries. And KT talked about creating spaces of joy and playfulness, about how they can serve as a form of resistance, particularly against normative uses of technology, and also as a way in, a door for students, or anyone really, to try things out and talk about them. I like how KT makes space for conversation. They talked about their collaborative project, A Feminist Manifest X of Coding, with Alejandro Acierto which incorporates ideas from restorative justice models and intersectional feminism to critique and discuss topics in creative coding, education, 
and our relationship to the broader tech industry. What KT does well is bring ideas of communality to the forefront in their projects, their collaborations, and their teaching, and around what we make and the implication of the tools and technology we use, creating space for what they describe as thinking, doing, making, and being. Thanks to our guest on today's program, KT Duffy. My name is Lee Tussman. Our audio producer is Max Ludlow. This season of the podcast is produced with the New Media Caucus for New Rules, Conversations with New Media Artists. You can find out more by visiting newmediacaucus.org. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out more about how National Endowment for the Arts grants impact individuals and communities, visit arts.gov. Special thanks to Jesse McDowell, Rebecca Forstadter, and Nat Rowe. Our music on today's episode is Holitsna CCO with Agoraphobia, Zylo Zico's Last Night, Daniel Birch Brushed Bells in the Wind, Maidan's Away, and Kirk Osamaya's Ambient Fight. You can find more episodes, full transcripts, music credits, and links to find out about our guests and topics on our website, artisanhackers.org. You can find us on Instagram at artisanhackers and on Mastodon at artisanhackers at post.lurk.org. You can always write to us on our website. Please forward this or any of your favorite episodes to a friend and be sure to leave us a review or feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.